Let's go to the movies. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season two. I appreciate the few of you who check out this podcast and listen to it. It means a lot. Sorry, it's been ages since I got back on here. Wasn't quite sure the direction I wanted to take since this year isn't exactly normal in terms of movie releases. But I decided to finally come back and get started again. And we've got a really interesting show today. We're going to just start talking about the whole discussion revolving theaters versus streaming and how everything's being released lately. And I do have a special guest coming on to help discuss all of that with me. So we are going to jump right in and get going. Here goes Season 2, Episode 1. All right, we're going to get right into it today. So I'd like to welcome my guest for this discussion, Matt Clark. Hi, Paula. It's great to be with you today. I'm stoked to be here. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I think you're a great person to have this discussion with. And also a great second guest to ever have on my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is an honor in itself, second only to the the wonderful James. And if you'd like to tell everyone just a brief bit about who you are. Yeah, I am a journalist um, who's, I guess my specialization is in international news, but I love all things movies, television, pop culture. It's really my bread and butter. Perfect. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, today we're going to discuss theaters and streaming and that whole debacle that's been going on. And to preface, <sighs> to preface this conversation, me and Matt both are affiliated with Warner Media. We work under that company umbrella. So we're going to try to come at this at a respectful angle. Of course, always. It's a, I think it's an interesting discussion to have because it's not, despite passionate opinions from anyone involved, it really is, there's no black or white. There's no right or wrong in this situation. Yeah. Um, everyone is just trying to, one, either look out for their business, which you can't knock people for, um, or two, try and, I guess, evolve the landscape of entertainment, which is, people always have pushback too, so I don't know. Yeah, and then you get a lot of the, you get a lot of the forward thinking, and you get a lot of the cinema purists that are trying not to change anything. It's it's a hard line to straddle. I even made a note, so I had made some notes probably back in like April or May that I was going to maybe do something with the podcast, but I didn't, but one of the notes was literally, this is a really tricky line. I don't really know what the answer is. So what was that? Like yeah, it, six or seven months ago <laughs> and we're still having this discussion. Right. It, I never thought we'd be in a position where theaters would actually have to shut their doors. And I mean, just chalk it up to the kind of year that 2020 has been. No one knew coming into the year how far reaching this pandemic would be yeah. and how it would truly affect every facet of business and you know, economies around the world. Um, I think it's been interesting where I am just south of Atlanta. I have three theaters that are local to me. One closed permanently. It was an AMC. Um, one is closed, then reopened for a few weeks, then closed again and closed through the new year at this time when we're recording, it's just prior to Christmas. And that's um, a Regal Cinema, part of that chain and group. So there's only one local theater that's open. And we were, we were talking earlier this week how if that closes, and the closest theater to me is almost 45 minutes, possibly an hour away with traffic. And that is such a mind-blowing thought to have in 2020, that access to movies and something like that would be that limited given the the area where I live, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's been one of the most interesting thoughts. Right. Cause it's not like you live completely out in the middle of nowhere. Like you yeah. still consider like Metro Atlanta, 
Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is interesting. And then I live closer to the North Perimeter. And the closest theater to me literally is AMC Phipps Plaza, which is part of a mall. And they've remained open, but then there's the other big theater, Regal Hollywood Cinemas. That's like the biggest theater I know of, and they yeah. haven't been open at all. And it's just, it's weird. Because you drive yeah. past it, and it's just this huge, huge empty building, empty parking lot. All the letters on their sign are burning out. <laughs> it's definitely something you take for granted. I will, something I took for granted. Um, I'm definitely a person who was in the theaters at least once a week that that i'd like to say that started before the whole movie pass thing but movie pass definitely encouraged it mm-hmm. um rest in pieces i guess um that whole mess um but being in the theaters every week i guess conditioned me to this experience where i've you know you can link certain foods or smells or even songs to different experiences in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, with me, it's, I see myself in that theater seat, either like oh, different dates I went with people, different points in my life. Um, and that has been absent for the past, uh, what is it? Nine months. The last yeah. movie that I saw in theaters was Onward at the beginning of March. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Yeah, I had also made a note. The last thing I saw in theaters before the pandemic was Jojo Rabbit in February, Ah, like leading up to the Oscars. So it was like, I consider that like last year because it was like last award season. And then I did, I did go see New Mutants in August. That was like the first thing. Oh, I I did see that too. Yeah, it was the first thing I went back and saw. It was weird, but it it was also like, okay, I did it. And then. um, Yes, yeah. I saw Tenet at the Plaza Theater, which is a local theater in Atlanta. And they were like worlds beyond safety and cleaning. Like you could smell yeah. the antiseptic. <laughs> like they made, <laughs> they made like every effort to, to keep things safe. And like that was cool because they did like a 35 millimeter thing. So it was like an experience that they were trying to create. But since then I haven't gone and that's just mostly because nothing has come out. And also, yeah. like, nothing's really so calmed guess, down, and so it's just, it just kind of is what it is, you know? So I guess at our true heart, you can probably guess the type of people that Paula and I are. We are definitely, um, <laughs> I consider her probably more of the cinema purist. I consider myself very much a proponent of the movie-going experience. Um, I'm much, <laughs> I love movies. I'm much more angled towards big action films, superhero movies, you know, the big, um, the big popular ones. Paula has a much more refined taste, so you can probably... <laughs> yeah, I know. Except for her sounds, love of the room, but you can probably sounds, guess where we're going. <laughs> it always sounds a little uppity, I feel like, when I talk about it, because I do feel like I, I look at theater and film as like an art, so it's like you're going to... Yeah. Like, almost like it's like you're going to an art museum to see a piece of artwork. It's like a like a purpose definitely so that aspect of it has been kind of weird for me because I feel like at home I'm always distracted or I'm like oh I gotta go change the laundry out or oh the dishwasher needs started or oh someone's texting me <laughs> having the tv on is kind of like yeah. white noise almost so it's hard for me to focus on movies at home the same way but <laughs> oh yeah go ahead you think about how how the movie going experience began and like they were called movie palaces and it was this big grand event like the fox theater in downtown atlanta used to be a movie palace and look at how grand it is it still is um it was a spectacle it was an event like going to the movies was i get there were less movies that came out and they were i guess um you know, it was a bigger deal at the time, but it was like a social event. It was the, the thing that, you know, came to town. Like even here in my town, there are two shuttered old movie houses that were turned into other businesses that were on town square that were part of like the livelihood of my town. Um, one is still standing, even though it's been 
turned into different things over the years, but like they're a central part of, you know, pulling people together. So, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it totally makes sense that it's a different experience when you're watching something from home. Yeah. Uh, there's less emphasis on it. Yeah. And I know, I know for a lot of people, it does make more sense to just stay home and watch a movie when you have a family or you're on a budget or you're not really a huge movie goer. I completely understand that. I guess it's yeah. just sometimes wanting to make sure people do understand like why the theater matters yeah. and that it is a little bit detrimental for it to go away completely because you won't necessarily get the same type of movies you are expecting to get when they don't have yep. such like a wide release. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess it's like, I always feel nostalgic for <laughs> the old times even though i wasn't born that long ago <laughs> right but uh excuse me so yeah our main point of focus today that kind of brought us together initially was this announcement from hbo max that they were going to release all these warner brothers films to their streaming service and they announced that what was it like december 3rd very early on this month Yep, early December, yeah. Yeah, and that was a huge announcement. It came with some very polarizing opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just kind of the overview, if you didn't really hear the details, it's it was about 17 films that they announced that they're going to release pretty much all the huge ones that were going to come out this year and got delayed or already scheduled for next year in 2021. And they are going to set to drop those for one month on HBO Max also putting them in theaters where available and then keeping them in shortly after that one month on streaming. And they're going to be raising the price of HBO max to 1499 a month to sustain that plan, which I do think is interesting, which we could talk about that in a second. (laughs) Um, The other interesting aspect was what we started unraveling was some of the backstory where we learned that, they kind of just made this announcement out of the blue. They didn't give anyone really a heads up. The major movie theater companies got like an hour heads up. Smaller exhibitors got like seven minutes head up. Like they didn't get any kind of word. They are kind of just flying blind. And yeah, so there was a lot of Hollywood reaction to that. And it was, it seemed to me that it was mostly outrage. <laughs> like everyone was kind of like, what the heck? Like, that's not what we signed up for. That's not the movie we agreed to make. That's not how we want it to be released. And it's kind of been just stirring the pot in Hollywood and making me realize a lot of things that I didn't realize. And one of them being that Warner Brothers is actually a really good, like talent friendly studio. And so this kind of came across to all these people in Hollywood that they were just like, yeah, we don't really care about you. We just got to do this. I think that was really interesting piece of the I guess the puzzle if you will and I guess the the material that we're kind of going off of is all I guess third-party reporting we don't have any you know inside knowledge of this Um, yeah we're in a different we're referencing we're in a different tier yeah we're referencing like Hollywood Reporter articles New York Times Deadline and Polygon and Variety as part of our discussion today just throw that out there but I think it's it's no mystery to people the type of studio that Warner Brothers has been in the past because you think of its storied history. Like we're talking back to the 1930s, if I'm correct, like how long the studio has been around and has given us some of the biggest names, not only talent-wise on screen, but behind the camera as well. Mm-hmm. Um, has released some of the biggest films via its its main studio and I guess the acquired companies that it has. So you look at, I guess, the, the bevy of work that Warner Brothers has behind it, and you think like, okay, this is a company that knows how to work with Hollywood. This is a company that has been through old Hollywood in the golden age and has successfully made it through to um, this modern era, uh, which I guess could present the question, if a company has been around this long, granted it's not the same people who've been at its head, should you not trust the studio name because of its storied past? But 
I mean, that's a that's kind of a rhetorical question because of the place we find ourselves. I think most of the reaction that I'm seeing um, from the talent end is in a, I guess in a business built on discourse and built on contracts and negotiations that there, that wasn't too present here with all the parties that would be affected. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these articles and sources are saying that I guess this first big release is going to be Wonder Woman 1984 coming out in a few days in theaters and on HBO Max. And to, I guess, make the kind of grease the squeaky wheel, make sure things went smoothly, both director Patty Jenkins and the film's lead Gal Gadot received around $10 million each, which would have been, to my understanding, uh, money that they would have received on the back end of the film's release from uh, whatever the film would have made in theaters. But you don't see those negotiations happening with other actors and directors, some of who, like you said, were blindsided, um, who are the directors and stars of these huge tentpole films like Dune and um, the new Suicide Squad movie coming out uh, this year. So it's, it's really an interesting choice that was made to kind of go this route, but also another interesting choice not to involve all those parties and discussions ahead of time. Yeah, and I had read that people knew that they met with, like, uh, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, and they were like, well, why did they get a meeting and we didn't get a meeting? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of set, like, a weird precedent. And then um, you mentioned how they're getting paid $10 million each. And so just to kind of explain that, if anyone's not familiar, typically when a star signs onto a huge film like that, they'll get paid up front a portion and then they'll get paid on the back end, uh, like a portion of the profit of whatever the film makes, which is why those huge movies like Wonder Woman, 1984, Dune, things like that are kind of like, wait a second. Because then that throws in the question of, well, how are these stars getting paid now? And what does that look like moving forward? Like, how are you paying people to make these huge movies if you're going to change the structure that they are used to? So yeah, it does. It raises, yeah. it raises a lot of interesting questions about the financial aspect of production well, too. Interesting fact for you. <clears throat> if you remember the original Batman movie from 1989, Tim Burton's Batman film, um, they went through a couple choices and finally settled on Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But in negotiations with him, he asked for um, many things. Part One was script approval. And then in part, he wanted um, part of the merchandising. Mm. And I don't know if you recall this, but as a kid who was obsessed with superhero stuff, like when I was little and still to this day, the merchandising for that was ridiculous. Talk about viral merchandising. The new kids on the block were wearing huge Batman logos and everything. There, like it was everywhere. There was Diet Coke um, Batman campaigns. There was think of every huge marketing campaign and associated associated with Batman, like the Britney Spears Pepsi campaign. That was Batman. There were like everywhere, mm-hmm. and so he made the most money out of that entire movie out of everyone because he had a cut of this merchandising and that was something that he pushed for now would the movie if the movie hadn't been as successful Mm -hmm. he might not have you know wanted to continue down that road or we might not have gotten all these other films we might not have gotten a batman sequel out of that um but it just goes to show how much money is in it for these people if films are successful. Yeah. Now, this is on the marketing end, but, I mean, you could say the same thing about any one of these films. And it does actually brings up a good point because that kind of was like the shift with the music industry back when music streaming started to become a huge thing and artists had to figure out how they were actually going to make money. So then, like, they had to start doing more kind of deals that included merch, ticketing, things like that. Yeah. 
so it, like kind of, it kind of is an interesting point and like with such big movies and such iconic characters that warner brothers deals with there's obviously an area of merch and marketing that could be tapped into i just don't know exactly how they would go about that right and that's i mean that's one venue one lane for those big tentpole films mm -hmm. but smaller films like take last year you had well not even looking at films from last year but say you have a new film that has gained so much attraction it doesn't have any big stars it might have a director name it might not how does new talent then break into that if the theater environment goes away yeah, that's a good point. Because you're kind of, are you? Would you be like eliminating this whole like A list, B list, C list yeah. celebrity type of tier thing? Because you wouldn't have anything that kind of differentiates that anymore. Or new films relegated to voodoo or yeah, <laughs> Fandango films or whatever you know, mm -hmm. um, because they're not able to get in, get their foot in the door on any of these huge streaming platforms. If that were to become the future, yeah. And I mean, obviously we have seen major movie stars on like Netflix movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's probably because mentally you approach it knowing it's a Netflix film and they probably structure their pay a little differently. So you're not mm -hmm. going to be like blindsided in this type of situation if they suddenly decide to put it on streaming, you know? Yeah. I.e. like thinking of specifically like the prom, like Meryl Streep. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, like these huge actors that you wouldn't expect to see in a Netflix film. Right. And I think I'm looking at, I look at HBO as a different type of product, right? Netflix, yeah. I've come to see as, well, what first started out and we were, we're we were both early users of Netflix. Um, it was the place to get movies and TV shows that you wanted to rewatch or see for the first time. But now it's become much more a hub for original content, mm -hmm. still with the benefit of, you know, movies and TV shows that you can watch. But HBO Max is in that area that Netflix started out as, bringing that strength of HBO home box office and having, you know, those huge films because, I mean, look, at it's Warner Brothers pictures. Mm -hmm. um, and its subsidiaries, um, I don't see it as a strength in original content. Uh, I know some people have been loving The Flight Attendant with Kelly Cuoco and um, some of these other series that have premiered on there. And but James, right just, now, James just um, discovered Looney Tunes is on there, so he's been watching that. <laughs> I, they have a new Christmas special on there. Yeah, he's like, Looney Tunes. pretty good, but I mean, it, all the, all of them? <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, it's Looney Tunes, and how much are you able to leverage that as a, guys, right. this is the streaming service with Looney Tunes. You had to right? already be someone who liked Looney Tunes <clears throat> to be that excited about it. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, so that raises I, a point, too, because that kind of ties into an aspect I kept reading about, which was HBO yeah. Max is so new to the game, and they're trying to, it seems like, imitate some of these things that the other sites have been doing without really having the subscriber base to back it up. Um, I, I guess to their credit, they have seen a boost in signups since yeah. this announcement, but is it going to be enough to make a difference? Right. <clears throat> um, some of the facts that I pulled for the, like the initial startup of HBO Max, uh, one thing that I kept reading was that the app rollout was confusing. At the time, it was not available on Apple TV or I'm sorry, it was available on Apple TV. It wasn't available on Amazon Fire Stick or Roku. And those are two huge right. TV providers, I guess you would call them. <laughs> like people, a mm -hmm. ton of people have those. And so that kind of confused people. Yeah. I remember seeing people commenting on like Facebook and stuff being like, wait, I ordered this and now I can't watch it. I'm confused. And so that's all been kind of rectified at this point. But I guess it kind of created this confusion. People were like, well, I'm not going to get that if I can't watch it on my TV. Like, I'm not going to totally. stare at my phone all day. So I think initial sign-up was a little under what they expected. And then I also read a stat that there's approximately 20 million potential customers who have not signed up who could. So, that, like, people that have gotten the 
free trial codes from getting a new phone plan or signing up for direct TV or something like that. And I thought that was a really interesting number because that's a lot of people. That's a huge market right there. That's just not really being reached right now. I, I will say uh, it is not the friendliest, I guess, interface, but also it is not the, the app that you'll go to on a regular night, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and go, oh, well, let me watch something on HBO Max tonight, you know? Yeah. But also making this big change at this time where, I mean, Peacock is dropped with so much content that you can watch without paying for it. Um, besides the new Saved by the Bell show, which is garbage. Um, we watched the first you episode the and dis- I was like, this is weird. I don't really know. It's, it's garbage. I'm a purist all the way with the original. Um, <laughs> you have the new Discovery Plus app, which is coming, which that's a whole other conversation in itself. You, But you also have this huge behemoth of Disney Plus, which yeah. is just a year old mm-hmm. and has blown away the competition in terms of subscribers, in terms of the content they're pumping out, but also in terms of the hype that they've created in the industry with this last investor call where they announced 10 and now 11 new Star Wars series, 10 Marvel series, Mm -hmm. new original Disney pictures, Disney animation, like all these amazing things that they're delivering on. Um, And so it's, it's an interesting field to be in. You also have Quibi, who shut down after less than a year. Yeah. Oh, be it that's its own <laughs> business model. And I don't, did you did you ever get on Quibi? No, I don't know anyone that did. Did you? I did. Yeah, I had. Uh, I did the free month subscription, and then had. I watched one show, and then I subscribed once I heard that it was going away for the last month and I still didn't finish or watch the stuff that I wanted to. So that's, that's a whole nother discussion. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) Which I've got a lot of opinions about. Um, But it's, it's a bold move for HBO Max and Warner brothers to make with like the slippery surface of not only it being 2020, but the condition that the entertainment industry and I guess streaming industry now Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did think the timing of the launch worked from the perspective of, well, everyone's at home now. Here's yeah. something else you could watch. <laughs> but I think they missed out on having, like I said, the Roku and the Fire Stick users from the get-go. Because, like, I have Roku, and we only just got access to it, like, last week. And so, when I, like, I, I would use it here and there on my phone. But I never really was like, oh, cool. HBO Max is my new... <laughs> Cause I just didn't have a way to do it. Yeah. Well, that was also something that was chalked up to negotiations and contracts because yeah. you have to deal with each of these different companies. I think Amazon, Amazon fire stick got access to it a couple months after release. If I'm correct, I don't know the exact time, um, I think it was but it was initially just ago. rolled out for Apple TV. Yeah. Um, we were listening to a Disney podcast last week and they were talking about uh, all the announcements and they mentioned how Disney plus has already like exceeded its predicted subscribers for like the next three years, like their three year projection. They yeah. already hit it. Like that's how, but they've got so much IP. It's like, they, I feel like they can announce, like they announced the Mandalorian and everyone was like sold out subscribe. They, they didn't really need yeah. to give anyone that much to go with. And they were just like, I'll do it. <laughs> But I think that... Well, in terms of big... Oh, I was just going to just gonna add that I did read one point that uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers made this move kind of hoping maybe Disney would follow suit and drop some of their big movies to Disney+, Plus. but it doesn't seem like they are planning to do that. They've kind of got their, yeah. own, their own time frame and their own plans going over there. <laughs> On the Disney investor call, which I watched the whole thing, um, they they said that they were committed to theaters, 
and that theatrical experience. And they said that the type of movies that they make need to be seen in theaters. At the same time, they are going to be still making films that will go directly to Disney Plus. Like the sequel to Enchanted starring Amy Adams will go directly to Disney Plus. Yeah. They just released a new movie starring Isla Fisher, um, a new Christmas movie that went straight to Disney Plus. Um, so they're they're finding a way to satiate all types of the market, it looks like. Yeah. I think one of the big things that people have been think, talking about is, will Marvel's Black Widow be released on streaming? Different people have called for it at different times and um, to do that. And Marvel, I think, or Disney rather, um, said we're committed to releasing these movies in theaters and giving them that release that they deserve. And with this move by Warner Brothers, I mean, they're, they're still respecting that. These movies are getting released in theaters. But I think some people see it as a, a not necessarily a vote of confidence, but just kind of uh, making sure that they're still... I don't know that in case the um, it doesn't deliver the type of numbers that they want, not necessarily that there's something to blame, right. but there's that cushion of, Oh, well we also concurrently released it on streaming, you know? Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't make as much or, I mean, last year we had these movies that were making a billion dollars yeah. after, you know, long box office runs. Will we see that anymore? I mean, based off of right here, right now, it's hard to see like that's ever going to happen again. Yeah. But I guess we'll just have to see like where things go. Um, I, th- I a, think a lot, of, think a lot, a lot of, people- of things I've been seeing online have been for the people who are, for those in favor of the move. And Jason Kalar said this himself. He said, this move is for the fans. This is giving fans options which i mean talk about like somebody knowing how to speak to to like the people yeah you know that's what people want they want that fan service um and a lot of people are saying hbo is and warner brothers are coming under so much fire because they're trying to give people options they're trying to disrupt the market they're trying to you know to push this industry forward and that's i think where it's not necessarily a right or wrong. It truly comes down to your opinion and the type of consumer you are, which is, I guess, a little frustrating because we, we like to see, you know, a right and a wrong, but this is one of those things where at the end of the day, there's not really a right and a wrong. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how the move pays off. Yeah. And I think I mentioned earlier, like I completely understand why people, are like, yeah, I want to just stay home. I don't want to go. And especially that we're still in the pandemic. So I'm not at all trying to sound like, well, you should just suck it up and go to the movie theater. And <laughs> like, it totally, makes complete totally. sense to not. I think my head goes to it turning into a slippery slope of it never going back. And then that's where I start yeah. getting kind of like, oh, that doesn't, that's not what I want to happen. Cause I don't want to be concerned about the, like, the, just the like the long term. Of- yeah, yeah, we're concerned about the state of theaters when vaccines are widely available and right. everyone is able to go out safely. Will the theater industry return to what it once was? Will yeah. we have, and this is what I compare it to, like the ultimate theater moment for me was going to see Avengers Endgame in theaters. And yeah. I think it's people pick it. It's a very different type of theater fan because that theater experience for me was sitting with people I knew and I didn't know, you felt like you, everybody knew each other. People were hooting and hollering and screaming and crying and shouting. Not your typical movie experience by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But that's not something you can get at home. It's not some, it was the, the huge display and the sound and the environment. And um, it's something that we've really come to romance almost. Um, But again, that is also, big IP that is large tentpole projects in theaters yeah and that was um, like, that was like 10 years of going to the theater culminating in that one yeah. and so it's like could you create the same type of thing 
like if you had say you had 10 years of marvel side shows on disney plus would you think that would be able to create the same type of like end game experience i so i had an experience the other day um the newest marvel property drops on disney plus on january 15th and i was one of the things I often have to do when I, when I talk with my, when I talk with my mom about the movies, um, she loves to, you know, catch up with me on what I'm into. And she's like, Oh, I need to watch this Mandalorian thing. Um, she watched all the Star Wars movies through for the first time earlier this year, bless her heart. And I said, you need to watch this trailer for the Falcon and the winter soldier, which comes out in March because the amount of money that Disney has put into this, it's not a TV show in my opinion. It's a six hour movie. Mm-hmm. And the, the production value is that on par with that of the movies. Not saying that you have to pour money into something to make it a good project, but the amount of care that has gone into the production value to preserve it on a streaming service mm-hmm. has been like amazing. And you look at it and it looks like a cinematic trailer for something that you're going to watch in the theaters. Um, would I feel the same way if it were, if I were watching the, the trailer for Little Women to drop on Disney Plus? I don't know. I know that's not fair to, you know, other things. Right. Uh, <laughs> comparing it like that. But I think streaming services, if they spend the right money have the right talent and do it in the right way they'll be able to keep people coming i will say on like the warner brothers part they did have and again i come from the world of like huge ip things and um action movies and whatever there was a set warner brothers is owner of dc comics and so there was a separate app producing original TV and movies all centered around those huge names and huge characters. They folded that app earlier this year um, to turn it into another service very similar to what Marvel has going. And all those names and shows are now on HBO Max. So now they're trying to bolster their presence in big IP and big action movies and superhero things like that. Um, will it be enough to draw people to HBO Max? Because a lot of those are targeted towards um, adult audiences. They're mature rated shows. Mm-hmm. And I think with streaming, there's either like, I feel like streaming is either like the adult wanting to watch something at night or let me put this on for the kids so they'll be quiet and I can do things around the house. I feel like especially these days too, because it's like the kids are home yeah. all day. Because what, they, so it'll like, be, when they, they dropped, like, what the most popular things on Netflix were, and it was, like, The Queen's Gambit, and then, like, some kids show. <laughs> Which, it fits that description like, right. perfectly. It's, like, the show that all the adults put on later in the day, and then the show that they turn yeah. on for all the kids to watch <laughs> during the day. It'll be interesting to see if HBO Max will, I guess, level out its type of content. Right now, like, they have Sesame Street. And you can stream Sesame Street and they have Scooby-Doo and Looney Tunes and all these huge names. But is it enough to keep people coming? I think that's what Warner Brothers, pardon me, Warner Brothers is banking on. This simultaneous model system really pulling users to HBO Max, which at the end of the day, I don't know if it's enough. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. Well, I think after Wonder Woman, it's not going to be the best like to see for sure if it's working, because I feel like people already have it, and they're going to stick with it. I think into the new year is probably when we'll get a better idea if this is actually drawing new people in. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people will watch Wonder Woman at home Yeah. because it's coming out on Christmas. So it's like, right. oh, well, let's watch Wonder Woman later tonight. And at the same time, though, I feel like a lot of people initially will probably be like, oh, you want my password? Oh, you want to come over and watch it? Like, yeah. And less so of like, oh, I need to download it myself, initially at least. Yeah. Because I think Wonder Woman is a good, like, all ages movie. So when it gets a little totally. more audience specific, 
then I think that'll be kind of a better example of if it's drawing new people in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I wanted very to, strange times. <laughs> I wanted to bring in some polling that we did. We put a little poll up on Instagram just to kind of get a, <laughs> a sample of kind of what some of our peers were thinking. And so we asked two questions. We asked the first question of with the recent news of Warner Brothers releasing all 2021 movies to HBO Max, will this change your movie going habits overall? And we had 35% say yes, 65% say no. So to me that indicates that people are kind of right now just like yeah it is what it is right now but i'll still go to the theater if i can you know so it wasn't oh. as uh wasn't as dramatic as i thought i thought more people would have said yes honestly but less people did <laughs> uh the second question we asked was <laughs> so let me let me just say this one uh the second question was how will you choose to see a new warner brothers movie as 2021 progresses and that was a little closer. We had 54% say they're going to stream everything. 46% said theaters if possible. So it still seems wow. like a lot of people are still interested in seeing a lot of these in the theater. And then I had two separate people comment on the side, just kind of like, like, yeah, in general, I probably will watch movies on HBO Max, but I'm going to definitely try to see the ones that I've been like, excited to see in the theater. Then one of the comments was just like the combination isn't the worst thing right now since we are trying to be safe during the pandemic. So that kind of ties into Definitely. what we mentioned earlier, just like it is a good option. So overall, it doesn't seem like everyone's just like, oh yeah, forget the theaters, we're staying home forever. And uh, I did, someone commented that it, it's gonna probably make them watch more Warner Brothers movies that they probably wouldn't have gone to see since it's just available to them now. Which That's was an interesting true. perspective because I wasn't really thinking about it from that perspective. Because it's just like, oh, it's there. I'll watch Matrix 4, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I think um, that's one of the films that will be concurrently released. And that was mind-blowing to me because you have... How long has it been since The Matrix 3 came out? Like, I, I don't even remember. 10 years, right? Um, I could be wrong, but I'm gonna look that is talk about a huge film coming out of nowhere. Um, oh yeah, Matrix Three was 2003. Is that what you said? Woof! I said 10 years. That's like close to 20. Yeah. Wow. I th people are. I can see there are some people who just have cabin fever. And any opportunity they have, like when things reopen and it is safe to go out and gather again, yeah, um, they're ready for that experience. But hey, sometimes you just want to kick back on the couch with a, a bowl of popcorn or something and not worry about putting pants on. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. That too. And a lot of times, <laughs> uh, like as much as I like going to the movie theater, sometimes I wouldn't get a chance to just because of work schedule and life. Yeah. things like that so you know it's not like I was like I'm never watching a movie at home <laughs> so yeah it'll be uh it'll be interesting I wonder with something like the Matrix 4 that I'm sure people are like pumped about and it's been what 17 years <laughs> since the last thing like yeah. that's something that would probably been like a really great theater crowd experience because you know and yeah, I'm that sad is, that, that would, that's going to be lacking now. And that is, a, that is truly like a study in, I guess, maybe generations. Because you think that's about true. the crowd that saw that in theaters. Say it was like a group of teenagers or, you know, a group of college kids. Those kids are now parents, mm -hmm. some are, of kids close to that age as well. So would they be, would they if it's coming out on a streaming service, are they going to brave it to go back to the theater to see that new Matrix movie when it's just right there? Right. Um, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. That's why I think it's, I think it's not going to be like a very mm -hmm. obvious, like, oh, it's working. Like, I think it's going to kind of be like a film by film. Like, you have to interpret each film, you know, based on yeah. 
the audience and the demographic that you were going to aim it towards? It'll be very interesting to see the results that come out and whether or not um, they'll be made public, you know, because like Netflix doesn't give ratings. Right. Or, you or know, like uh, with Mulan, they never really gave firm numbers on how Mulan did on Disney Plus with Premier right. Access. They just kind of ballparked uh, which I, it. Which I did. I paid the $30 to watch it when it came out. I know, it was a great few, I know a few people who did. Because they were like, I would have spent that money to go to the theater anyway. So, like, why yeah. not? Um, so, uh, yeah, but, I think it's, it's a gutsy move. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of going back to you mentioning Little Women <laughs> made me think of another <laughs> aspect of the theater that is what makes me kind of sad that it's not open. Because Little Women is not necessarily, like you said, it's not like a huge blockbuster film. It's not something that everyone's like, oh yeah, I gotta go see that movie. But what the theater always does is it kind of helps like bring forward these films that you might not have considered because everything kind of gets like lost in the shuffle because there's so much coming out. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I realized was happening to me this year because it's almost award season. And I was like, I have no idea what movies have even been coming mm -hmm. out. And everything gets so diluted with all the streaming sites and you don't really see trailers if you don't have TV or cable or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of don't know what to focus on. And the theater kind of helped put a spotlight on things that were like, Hey, maybe consider this or Hey, maybe consider that or Hey, everyone really likes this movie. And so that aspect of it is lacking and that's kind of upsetting me. Because you get a lot, like, well, you, and James brought up a great example of this. Like last year, Parasite won Best Picture. You are not going to watch a movie like that randomly at home <laughs> on a streaming site. <laughs> Unless everyone nope. is going to see it and talking about it, you know. So I don't, so stuff like that. I don't see how things like that are going to progress moving forward. Because I saw Parasite well, in the theater and I was like, whoa, this movie was great i would have never chosen to see this movie but like i loved it and i like i wouldn't be sitting at home like ooh, let me watch this korean film <laughs> just on a whim you know we you think about it and the way that the movie industry has treated streaming almost as kind of like the red-headed stepchild um no offense if you're red-headed or a stepchild out there <laughs> um but Remember, like, the Oscar rules, like, they used to be streaming movies made by streaming services had to be in theaters for a set amount of time to be eligible for contention in award season. So it's like, you're not a legitimate film or project until you are in theaters. That is how the industry has seen it for years. Mm -hmm. Does this change that? Well, I mean, it's obviously going to this year because everything that's potentially going to be nominated is coming to streaming. Uh, my only rebuttal to that is I do know that there's one art cinema theater in Atlanta showing like all the Netflix movies. <laughs> and I don't know if they're just doing that or if that was already like a prearranged Netflix thing because that theater typically would show, like they showed like Irishman and Marriage Story last year for like a very limited run, but they still did. So that's how those movies were able to get into those categories because they actually like had a theater run. Yeah. So I'm, and I know I'm the not... Academy. You go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. The Academy did change their, um, their guidelines this year. Yeah. Because of course, like there have been no films released to theaters other than Tenet, um, which I still haven't seen. I'm very excited to see it though. Uh, also, uh, Emma was in theaters <clears throat> briefly and that movie was great. And should win production design and costume design and cinema. I don't even know. It was very. It I don't was even. Just, it was beautiful. Like it was. It looked like a piece of artwork. Like because it, it was directed huh. by a photographer, so she had like this different eye, for like making a movie. You know. So that's my other thing is like the few movies that did squeak into theaters. <clears throat> like, are they even being considered? It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Because I don't feel like and, Tenet's going to really even get much attention. No. Which is kind of... I, but I'm also biased towards Christopher Nolan, so... 
And a, a lot of people online are blaming Christopher Nolan for this. They're like, if he hadn't have rushed Tenet into theaters, then um, this is Twitter. So, you know, it's the, the trash can of the internet. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's not if you Christopher saying. Nolan hadn't have put, right. If Christopher Nolan hadn't pushed this movie into theaters, oh. and of course it was all Christopher Nolan's, you know, That's doing, a Warner Brothers then, picture. So, and they didn't, they yeah. delayed it. They kept delaying it and delaying it. It's not like they, I think they were trying to see if it was possible to put a huge movie, would it draw the people that it needed to? And yeah. to be fair, that movie is still in theaters, so it's, you know, you could still go see it tonight if you wanted to. You could also rent it on DVD now, because it's yeah. 1980, and that's what we do. We rent stuff. <laughs> it's on my Christmas list. I my, might be unwrapping I really, it. I hope I get it for Christmas, really. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's... It's all interesting, that's for sure. Another interesting aspect that I've been wanting to bring up was just in general, something that I didn't realize was that the, the way that they're gonna be distributing all the films to the theaters has not been officially and clearly decided. It's currently, like the theater chains are handling it on like a film by film basis as well. It's like Warner Brothers apparently did not provide a distribution model for them. So if the theaters are going to actually carry the movies is like a whole other thing. Like, are we, well, even with sure, less, are we even sure that they're going to, we don't know. With the way I understand it, and I could be completely wrong, um, is they basically rent these movies mm-hmm. to show them at their theaters or they, they pay the licenses for them. Yes. And so the license <clears throat> is for, x amount of viewings over x amount of time so with less money coming to the theaters theatrical runs will be shorter Mm -hmm. right like right now well right now in the before times um in that land that existed before 2020 theatrical run was before covid (laughs) before it was about maybe a month or just over is what you would see for a successful film And then maybe three weeks for something that wasn't much of a moneymaker. What is that lifespan now? Is it, if it doesn't make money in that first week, is the film gone? And even if it is successful, are we seeing like maybe just a two to three run of those films in theaters um, because they simply cannot pay for those licenses? Like when theaters reopened here, they were showing movies like Jurassic Park and Jaws and the Harry Potter series because they knew that those were movies that people would probably want to come out and see because of the nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. And they counted on that money to pay for those licenses. But also I saw a bunch of older movies and that like old type Warner brothers films or films that had cheap license costs that they could keep running to yeah. keep the doors open in hopes to get more money to put towards those bigger licenses. Right. So what does this mean for the lifespan of a film going forward? And I mean, at that rate, if nothing else is coming out, <laughs> literally Wonder Woman 1984 is like the only thing in a theater. <laughs> is there as much of a drive to yeah. get it out of the theater because nothing else is there to take its place? Like, that's also interesting to me. Uh, something else I had noted was uh, in regards to the HBO Max plan. Uh, under their plan, HBO Max is paying Warner Brothers a 31-day licensing fee for the concurrent rights, and the fee is going to be equal to the studio's portion of U.S. ticket sales. And the floor of that is $10 million, or 25% of film's net production cost, whichever is greater. So they have factored that in slightly, it seems, which is interesting. I didn't really know much about that before this. That's something... That's something also that's coming under a little bit of fire, I think, because it's, it's within the family, you know? Right. It's so, like, yeah, there've been a lot of like, is this self-serving? Cause I also had read, um, by doing this plan and dropping it so drastically, it really didn't give any movies a chance to explore other streaming outlets that might want their film. Yeah. So say like Netflix is like, oh, well we wanted to pick up matrix Four, as an example, they never even had the option to negotiate that which is what was the film 
there was a film that they tried to take it to an app, but Warner Brothers basically shut down the discussion because of mm-hmm. the HBO Max decision. Uh, that was Godzilla versus Kong. Okay, yeah. That was uh, Legendary helped produce that. So I have a note about that because <laughs> I thought that was interesting too. Netflix because offered, they offered $225 million for that film. Um, but because Warner Media, Warner Media had the power to block that deal, they did because they were, I guess, probably working on this plan. And so Legendary didn't get a clear answer on what the HBO Max streaming plan was going to be until the announcement in December. So they were just kind of left in the dark after having tried to find a place for their movie to go, you know? And correct me if I'm wrong, but Legendary fronted the majority of the money for that film. Warner Brothers didn't even, they weren't even like a majority contributor to it, but because of the contracts and the negotiations, they had that block ability. That's how how I understood it, yeah. So it's like, even though, even though I did this, group project right you, just because you wrote a paragraph you're able to put your name on it and prevent me from turning it in and lower my grade yeah um that was a weird <laughs> no, I comparison know. I but like at. like it's like it it kind of does have that feeling when you hear a story like that uh another example that kind of explains this kind of sentiment i guess that I never knew about was apparently when the Joker movie was being produced, the heads of Warner Brothers were like, uh, or like Warner Media were like, uh, I don't really think this is going to be that big of a movie. We should just drop it to streaming and just bypass theaters altogether. But the production companies pushed for it and the director pushed for it to be released normally. And then it became this like Oscar winning film. Mm-hmm. So some, like, obviously this is a different time when things were actually coming to theaters. But it is interesting, like, how much is behind it that you don't realize. And that was something that, because they didn't believe in it, they didn't give it a huge budget. Right. They were trying but to then kind the of, like, return, push it out. Yeah. Talk, yeah, that was one of those films that brought in over a billion dollars. Right. Um, very, very interesting. It is, yeah. Um. Yeah. Is there any other kind of like final thoughts or final points you'd like to make? Popcorn you make at home is not as good as movie theater popcorn. And soda that you buy in a two liter is not as good as the fountains, the the Coke Choose Your Own Adventure machine. And that alone is why the theaters cannot shut down. (laughs) That is why. (laughs) We're taking that one all the way. (laughs) That is my grievance that I have to to air with the industry. <laughs> um, I guess like my final thoughts, I guess, would be if you are able to go to a theater and you're excited about a movie, try to go to the theater because that shows the industry that you still want movies to be in theaters. And at the end of the day, that seems to be the, the tone right now is what is the customer actually wanting? And, and even if you would- don't want theaters to stay open, like find a way to support them yeah i remember when all this first started they were like go buy a gift card from the theater because they get the money and then you can just use it whenever the theater reopens that's smart i never thought of that yeah i mean that was also like in april when people thought things were gonna be open in the fall (laughs) so who knows now but yeah i mean there are there are ways i think a lot of people are afraid that theaters are just slammed with people right now which they are not like when I saw Tenet, I was like one of three people in the movie theater and we were literally like completely spread out. You, w- you wouldn't have even known there was another person in the room. So definitely consider it if you are able to and in no way trying to belittle the pandemic. But just if you want to go and you're comfortable, go ahead. <laughs> I, the seeing New Mutants your feelings about it, whatever anybody thinks about it aside, was one of the very few things that I've done outside my home over the past nine months. Um, and it was great to be in a theater, uh, but you could tell that it wasn't the same. So I look forward to the day when I can be in a theater and it 
is back to the way it was. Yeah, Hopefully when you we can, can go have like an end game experience. <laughs> yeah. Which one of my friends will always say she wishes she could go just like re-experience end game. Because it I would, was such, it was like such an experience. And I guess that that, or, that's what it boils down to is I like when the movie is an experience. Yeah. And I like when I don't have to worry about anything else distracting me for two hours. Yep. And that's, yeah, I feel like that's really what I've been lacking. But I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, that, I guess, will kind of wrap up our discussion today. I guess if we have any more developments or learn any more information, or I guess see kind of how things progress, we might jump back on and do kind of like a part two episode or a follow-up or something. Um, but thank you to Matt Clark for joining me today to launch season two. Woo! <laughs> and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode and join me as we go to the movies.